1: Joining me tonight in studio, special guest, a man who's probably better known to people that walk and live in and call the Tenderloin home. It's a place that he's called home, heart of his ministry for some three decades now. And we're pleased to have joining us tonight in studio, the pastor of San Francisco Worship Center and the founder of City Impact Ministries, Pastor Roger Huang. And Pastor, great to see you.
2: Thank you very much for having me here.
1: You got a new book out. You share your story chasing God. It's interesting though, when you think about the ministry that God has called you to, uh, you didn't go chasing after the tenderloin. I kind of get the impression that the tenderloin found you. Yes, indeed. Tell us a bit of the story. Uh, You were actually heading into that part of the city for a job interview many years ago. You used to work as as an accountant.
2: Yes, I was uh, actually working for um, a couple of hotels at that time, one in Burlingame and one here at the Wharf, Fisherman's Wharf. And there was a brand-new hotel that opened up right there in the Tenderloin. It was uh, uh, Park 55, and uh, I wanted to, uh, of course, work for a bigger hotel, and that's how I went, applied, and I was fortunate to be hired as one of the three auditors. And uh, so that's how this whole ministry came about.
1: That trip through the Tenderloin that first day for the interview resulted in a car breakdown didn't it exactly what did god do through that circumstance
2: what happened is uh i got off work one day this is the very beginning uh, my my time with park 55 and uh i was walking towards my car and i noticed there was a flat tire on my car so i called for the tow truck and uh as I waited inside the car, I, I I started looking around, and I realized I was not in a very good neighborhood. And um, then I noticed uh, a young kid, he was uh, standing by the high-rise building, and then there was a group of older kids coming up the block, and they started harassing him. So um, I turned away from that, and when the tow truck driver came, he got me out of the situation, and then i drove away from that spot and as i was uh from that place to my home is it was about 15 minutes drive and uh god spoke to me he he impressed upon my heart he said what if that was your son what would you do Mm. and i said well if that was my son i would have jumped out of my car to rescue him and he said for me they're all the same Mm -hmm. and i went home very emotional my wife knew something happened to me we uh Cried together. I shared my uh, my heart with uh, her. Told her. I, uh, told her about how I felt. that God spoke to me. Anyway, the following day we made fifty sandwiches and I brought them down to the tenderloin. And
1: that was twenty nine years ago. Mm. <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. Yes, it's an interesting contrast, isn't it? You're you're working there at the Park Fifty Five, which is a four or five star hotel. Buttress literally up against the end of the Tenderloin District. Yes. So you have this contrast. You can literally cross the street, and on one side you have uh, men and women who are dressed in their finest, who are traveling on business or vacation. This is not Motel 6. The, this is people that are generally of means, that are the folks that stay there at the Park 55. and And literally across the street and down the block, you have the down and outers, the people that life has passed by. Drug addicts, prostitutes—you really have two ends of the spectrum here, literally residing side by side.
2: Yes, that's uh, what uh, San Francisco is all about. You can just walk a few blocks away, and, and uh, the, you know the environment would change. And uh, that's why uh, you know I was caught by this—you uh, know this this environment that that just exists like right there by a five-star hotel.
1: You had driven through that area, though, many times before. What was different, do you think, about this particular encounter, that scene that you saw of the young boy being harassed, that this time really captured your attention? Because I I think all of us can relate to the notion, whether we're talking about stepping over a drunkard in San Francisco as we're making our way into a building, or we're passing the guy who has the sign, we'll work for food there at the intersection. It's hard in a metropolitan area like the San Francisco Bay region to entirely avoid it, yet somehow we always manage to successfully turn our eyes and our hearts away. What was different about this encounter, do you think? Well,
2: I think um, living in the city of San Francisco, just like everywhere else, we're busy We're busy people. We're always uh, trying to get by and get through the day, and then uh, just so much stuff in our minds and and uh, I had probably driven through the Tenderloin prior to that incident, but the fact is I never mm-hmm. noticed anything. Mm. And uh, this particular time, because a year before that, I came to know the Lord uh, through a TV evangelist, and it was at that moment, at age 27, I felt, I, um, I felt just how God liberated me and uh, gave me a chance uh, to live, uh, a purpose. And, uh, of course, uh, eternal life. So uh, I've been going away to pray and fast and ask God, how can I possibly uh, get restored? And then after a while, I say, how can I possibly serve you? I really want to serve God, but I didn't know what to do. And so this particular time, I think uh, God just made it possible for me to stay there for 20 minutes to look at people as who they are. And it was at that time that I was connected. Uh,
1: You're working in the part of the city that few would look at and say, I want to go there. Most would say, that's the place I want to avoid. People who travel in and to the city go around the Tenderloin District, intentionally so. Many ministries would say, you're working with the most difficult group of people. They're drunkards. They're drug addicts. They're people that are down on their luck and have given up on life. They're probably the most difficult to reach. And folks that On average, it's hard for us to really, I think, for most Americans, really fully understand their plight, you know, sort of the, but for the grace of God, there go I. And yet here you find yourself, God tugging at your heart to go and make sandwiches. Yes. And you and your wife go down into that section of the tenderloin and start literally a food ministry, which has grown to incredible heights to this day, and we'll share more about that later. Were there moments early on, Roger, when you looked at that and said, what am am I doing here? Why here, of all places?
2: Never. Never? Never. I, uh, you know, um, I came from Taiwan. I came from a very abusive uh, background. And I came here to the city of San Francisco at age 15. And, of course, the abuse continues. And so I left home at age 17. And uh, I was pretty much by myself. I was a loner, um, a new country, a new environment. I uh, didn't have any friends, didn't have any relatives. Uh, I kind of survived on the streets. And, you know, I was a paper boy in the avenue, so I kind of know where to go and spend the night. And, uh, and eventually I got into the restaurant business, the hotel business. And, and you know, leading up to the age 27, I was uh, home for just a few minutes before going to the next job. It was at that time I turned the TV on, and just in a few minutes I was attracted to this message uh, by this TV evangelist. And I'm telling you, I, was, uh, I wept, and I cried for the first time for the right reason. Mm. And that was how I began to, to chase after God. I, I, I couldn't believe that He came to my living room and liberated me and gave me a chance to live in a country that I just felt so foreign to. And so, a year and a half later, when I saw this boy, and and I realized that God was trying to to get me on board with Him. And uh, ever since I stepped foot into that place until now, twenty nine years later, I have never uh, felt uh, re- you know bad or regretted. Uh, I can tell you the work for the last twenty nine years seventy percent of the time uh, it has been difficult, and the other thirty percent has been very hard. <laughs> but the fact is. Um, There's so much grace on me. I just cannot seem to do enough.
1: And it seems as if between the difficult moments and the hard moments, God has time and again shown his grace and his mercies. I mean, reading your new book, Chasing God, it just seems as if we go from many miracle to many miracle, chapter after chapter, corner after corner, turn after turn. Is that kind of what's characterized the nature of this ministry, just kind of on a faith basis day by day?
2: Yes, it is. In the beginning of the time, when my wife and I decided to walk away from the three jobs that we had, to go in and pray and fast, and just like the Word of God, that God will come through. And uh, so we fasted. You know three days uh, seven days twenty one days thirty three days forty days, for everything that we ever needed, we just pray and fast unto God, but I have to say this it 's not because we 're spiritual it 's because we were desperate mm. we didn't have friends we were not connected to denominations we didn't have we didn 't know any pastors, no one came to support us, so we just went to God, and um fasting is not easy um but uh, we're, not, we're no more spiritual than any Christians. We, we were just desperate, and we're still desperate.
1: Well, and in staying in a desperate place keeps up the necessity for reliance upon God, doesn't yes, it? Yes, very much so. We're going to pause on that point. Pastor Roger Huang is with us tonight in studio. We're looking at his new book, Chasing God, One Man's Miraculous Journey in the Heart of the City. We'll take a time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. <laughs>
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: And we're back to the conversation with me tonight. In studio is Pastor Roger Huang. We're talking about his book, Chasing God, One Man's Miraculous Journey in the Heart of the City. We were mentioning, Pastor, off the air. A big part of what this ministry has done, not only in you but through you, is really taking you back. You made reference briefly prior to the break about the fact that you had a very difficult childhood you grew up in Taiwan yes your father was working for China Air Mm -hmm. your father had some anger issues it sounds like yes almost understatement Mm -hmm. he was abusive to you and your siblings to an unfathomable degree yes why was there so much anger there do you think
2: We didn't know until I was probably in my um, late 30s, Mm. and uh, it was pretty well covered up by the family. Family meaning my mom never said anything about it, but it was due to uh, the drunkenness and then the gambling habit, Mm. and uh, so he would take it out on us.
1: There were some huge conflicts, I would imagine, for a young man your age being subjected to that kind of abuse. You you detail inside the book occasions when he would be absolutely brutal toward you, verbally and physically, and then moments later turn around and pull you to his lap and and try to kind of soothe you again. I mean, the emotions that that must have created for you of going from these... these degrees of of lashing out and and zero love, almost treating you in a hateful fashion, and then trying to be a loving father moments later. What was that like? There
2: was a lot of uh, rejection and uh, fear and anger and hatred. So um, that was what was going on. I never did um, like him. I Even today, as a pastor, on the Father's Day, on Mother's Day, I do not preach the message. Because if I do, I would be in a deep depression for three days, Mm -hmm. because I know I didn't believe that. Mm -hmm. So in the last few years, I simply just sit back and let others preach the message of God the Father, so I can just receive that.
1: Your dad got transferred to the States while working with China Air. You immigrated here about the age of 17. Fifteen. Fifteen. You didn't stay at home, though, for very long.
2: I stayed until I was 17. What happened is one day, same thing, he came home, and uh, I can sense it that he was agitated for some unknown reason. And But this particular time, he wanted to uh, take it out on my mom. And I was 17, and as he was coming, a, a charge right past by me, I put my hand out and, and held him back for the first time. And uh, I believe at that time he sensed there was some kind of a fear. He stopped. Turn turn around, walk away. Of course, there's some some things to me. And uh, for the first time, I I realized I could stop him. But uh, I'm glad he stopped because thinking back, I know that if he had passed by me, it would be tragic. Mm -hmm. And uh, so just the moments after that incident, I just... um, Took, I'd pick up some stuff and left home, and that was the end of that.
1: You were on your own then from the age of 17. Yes. When did you meet your wife, Maite?
2: I met her at uh, age, uh, I think, 20. And I was actually going to a store to get, my, to get a Coke. And um, uh, she happens to park her car right behind me. And uh, I turned around, and there she was, smiling at me. So I just walked over, got her phone number, called her two hours later, and then uh, went to her you house. You weren't bashful. <laughs> yes. Called her th- two hours later and show up at her house about three hours later. She was in shock. Mm-hmm. She opened the door, there I, wa- there I was, and I said, hey, I'm here to, I want to take you out. And she said, I don't even know you. I said, you do, you gave me your number. <laughs> so that was the beginning of our time.
1: You've been married how many years now?
2: 37 years. 37 years. Yes. Wow. How many kids? We have four kids. We have four in-laws and 16 grandkids.
1: Wow. So the the family is growing. <laughs> yes, very much so. She was raised in a Roman Catholic background. She was. You Would I have imagined there was no real sense of religion in the home growing up at all?
2: Well, <laughs> she uh, brought me to the Catholic Church, and she wanted me to be baptized by the priest, so I went, and uh, so my, that was my first uh, experience with the religion. But then later on, she came to know to, to know the Lord through the same TV evangelist a year before I came to know the Lord. And then she started telling me, preparing the way.
1: Mm-mm.
2: And then that's why when, the ten, when I turned the TV on, it was set on that station. So I came to know the Lord a year later.
1: So the Lord had been using
2: her... Preparing you. Very much. She's radical. More radical than
1: me. (laughs) Coming to Christ. Has it been a challenge for you based on the issues that you had with your dad to see God the Father as this loving father who cared so much about his creation, mankind, that he would even go as far as to sacrifice his only son that we might be reconciled to him?
2: I didn't have a problem with the message. I didn't have a problem with the image. Of course, it was all brand new. You know, That sure. was another uh, a shock for me. Now, remember, I didn't have any Christian friends, no church to go to. We did, we did go to, ended up in a little church in Daity City. But, uh, you know, after attending the services there, I felt that, uh, you know, there were a few very powerful uh, evangelists and the way they spoke me away from serving God mm. because it was very forceful it was very demanding uh, you know the way they preached the word the way how they would get people to feel that we need a new at the altar so that turned me away because I felt like it was my dad speaking to me mm. and uh, that's why I spent a lot of time in my earlier Christianity just reading the word and then going away up north and just praying fast, because it's just I just wanted that intimacy with God. And that's what this book is about. This book, when we put this book together, I did not want this to be accomplishment. I don't want people to read and say, "Wow, I wish I can do this. I can do that." because I think it's all about accomplishment and how much we have done to make us feel like we are one above the other. I want, I want this book to be about the relationship between us and the loving God. And he's able to get us out of the situation that we have no control of. Uh, a, a, a wife that's been uh, beat up in whatever ways and a child that just cannot seem to get out of, of his uh, situation. We wanted to be able to connect with this uh, book and say, you know what? God is able to take you out of that situation.
1: This is really the core message of what you've done on the streets of the Tenderloin for almost three decades, then. Is it really no different? No different. No different than really what God has done in your own life, is it?
2: That's the very message that we tell every person in the Tenderloin. It doesn't matter if it's in the homeless uh, rescue mission dining room or in our elementary school or in the Thrust store or in the food bank, or when we deliver food into the buildings, it's the same message. We're not about big stuff. We're, we're about changing one life at a time. We spend a good majority of our time listening to their stories because they have been so isolated. And, it, and it's in the listening, we're able to find out which area that they're really hurting, then we can minister to them, but we don't preach to them. We're telling them about the love of God. And it takes time. We have people that have been with us for three years, five years, 15 years, um, you know, and somewhere along the time, and you begin to see change in their lives. And so that's, uh, that's what I believe, because it's taken God a while to make me a complete person.
1: I think sometimes we forget that when we've been bruised and broken and wounded, sometimes it's no different for our souls to heal than it is for our body to heal. Yes. If you've had a severe injury, you're going to need time to recuperate and recover. You'll be in the hospital. You'll be under a doctor's care. Wounds take time to heal, don't they? Oh, sure. It does. Very much so. And a lot of the people that you're ministering to, and it's interesting because there's kind of a a snapback here for you, it seems like, in the sense that you, you characterize in the book your experiences as a young man growing up first in Taiwan and later here in the states having been abused and lonely and confused and all of those emotions that come from being raised in a painfully abusive household and suddenly here you are yet once again now ministering to people that are going through the same emotions exactly. that are dealing with the same life experiences. I guess, in a sense, we're not all that different than this bum on the streets, aren't we?
2: Yeah. it's um, When I look at when I look at them, it's just that it happened to them at a different stage. Mm-hmm. For me, it was earlier on. For them, maybe halfway through their life, something happened that made them who they are today. But it doesn't matter. They still are hurting. So...
1: When you see a person who hasn't bathed in days or clearly is dealing with some sort of a substance abuse problem, maybe an alcoholic, even even the prostitute, any of those people, is that really a symptom of the brokenness? I mean, we see them. There's an alcoholic.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We always, don't always stop to say, "Wait a minute though, that's just the symptom. Of the pain. Something has happened to that man in that man's life that has caused him to seek out the escapism of alcohol to try and kill or anesthetize this deep pain that he has that might lead back to a broken marriage. It might lead back to coming from an abusive household and childhood. We never know really the pain. What we're just seeing is sort of the symptom on the surface, aren't we?
2: You're right about that. Uh, for me, um, I needed to work as much as I could so I could be occupied and for for the, for the folks there different uh, vices. You have drugs and you have, uh, you know, um, other kinds of stuff.
1: We all have a a different way, exactly. We have a different way of escaping, don't we? Yeah. Some do it through a lot of work and we think, well, listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just working hard. Others do it through through spending money. I mean, there's a variety of ways that we use to try and anesthetize or cover up the pain, but at the core, it's all still pain,
2: isn't it? Exactly. That's why uh, I was working two jobs. I slept very little, uh, but at age 27, when I turned the TV on, when when this TV evangelist was talking about the love of God and how Jesus died for us and all that stuff, and I broke down and cried because Mm -hmm. for the first time, there was a message about love, and I realized, wow, I, I have been so broken, and I was running away just trying to cover things up. And I'm just overwhelmed by his grace and the love of God on me.
1: Is that, at the core, Pastor, what you share with these that you come in contact if every day in the Tenderloin, just the grace message?
2: The grace, the love, and they must change by making the commitment and the covenant. We're here to help them along the way. We will help them as much as we can. We'll listen to them. We'll pray with them. We were, we were trying to help them to understand the love of God. We have food for them, beverage, whatever it is, education. We have a elementary school there. Um, it grew from six kids to now 130 students right there in, in this building that we own. But it's all about just being there with them day in, day out. I remember growing up, I never had anyone, no mentor, no one that I could just share my life with. So I think it's very important to walk them through their life.
1: We're going to take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of the conversation. The new book is an amazing story, not just of his own personal journey, but what God is doing through the challenges of this ministry. What did you say earlier, Pastor? Seventy percent were difficult times, and the other 30 percent were challenging something like that. Yes, very hard. (laughs) And yet through all of that, God has repeatedly demonstrated his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace. Much you can learn from the book. Come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. All right, we're back to the conversation. With me tonight in studio is Pastor Roger Huang. He of course is And the now back to Lifeline Park with Ministries. Craig Roberts. Um, this just kind of happening organically from that experience of coming to your car one day with a flat tire, and it was just long enough, as you mentioned earlier, Pastor, for you to really absorb the scene around you that you had drove through and and walked through every day on your way to work and God used that to then literally transform your heart and suddenly you find yourself this this auditor working for a hotel who the very next day is making sandwiches in your kitchen at home and you and your wife are heading down into the tenderloin feeding whomever would come and receive a meal and now you've gone from uh, feeding their their stomachs to feeding their souls
2: yes that's exactly what happened. We came down with 50 sandwiches. We started giving them out to the homeless. And then it was, I think it was about two weeks later, I saw a bunch of kids, you know, running into a high-rise building. I was in shock because when you drive by, you think it's just about homeless and the drug pushers and users. What happened is I followed them right into the building and I knocked on the first door on the second floor. And the little girl opened up the door, and I walked straight in um there was a family of about 15 to 16 sitting on the floor in this little studio. I was in shock. I didn't know what to do. So I just started telling them about the love of God. And um, then later on, I realized they didn't understand anything I was saying. <laughs> and uh, that's how I realized I needed not preach to people, but to learn who these people are, assimilate into their lifestyle. That's how the whole thing started.
1: It really is more about then loving them first, isn't it? Yes. And being able to see that that connection with their humanity and what they're facing and what their struggles are. Because, again, we, you know, as, as the Scripture tells us, we look on the outside, but man looks on the inside on the heart. And I guess really what he's calling us to do is to, to take more of his approach, to look at the heart, to look at what they're going through, to look at the brokenness and see where we can make that connection with their humanity and then begin to share the experience that we've had in this love relationship with Christ and what God has done for us.
2: You are very right on because um, it is how God created me. I spend 95% of my time off the stage. I don't want to get on the platform. I don't want to get on the stage. I, I, I have to sit with someone like you and I sitting here right now just to talk. And that's the only way you can find out what We need what we can, how we can fulfill each other's needs, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But it takes that kind of intimacy and that private conversation. So we go in there and that's, we just listen to them and then we we do what we can to meet a need.
1: Do you see it as as amazing or do you even stop that long to look at it? Is it just about moving on to the next need and working through the challenges as the individuals and the needs present themselves? I
2: don't stop and look back. I just keep on going. Like I was saying, I'm still under grace.
1: I'm overwhelmed. I'm and this overwhelmed. is something you never really set out to do in a sense, is it? I mean, is, is there a, a, a five-year plan in place here, or is this kind of just God organically, much like day number one, we saying, just, okay, Roger, here's what you're doing today, and tomorrow it's something different, and tomorrow it's something different after that?
2: You're right about that. It's natural with the supernatural, one day at a time. Um, I, I never uh, get up in the morning and say, today's going to be a good day. I know it's not going to be a good day, but God is going to help me through. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has. Looking back, I'm glad I stay through.
1: I'm glad. Let's go to some calls. We've got uh, Lee in Palo Alto. Lee, come on in with your comment or question for Pastor Roger Wong. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I do
0: have a question, and that is I've been told recently about, there's like a
1: quote, leaning into God. And, you know, I'm trying to get my hands around what exactly that would be. Um, And I wondered, I come from a
3: perspective, too, where I didn't really have a father image. It wasn't um, abusive. It was like absent and distant. And um, so I I wondered, in terms of leaning into God in prayer, what would be the best tip?
1: doing that. Going to that deeper level. You talk a lot about it in the book. It it struck me you've got something like 10 chapters that all deal with a variety of topics all centered around fasting and prayer. That is a major part of your ministry. And I think that's largely what she's talking about. You're, You're leaning into God. How are you getting closer into Him? It's that yearning for that deeper level of intimacy, isn't it?
2: Yes. I wanted that because as I was reading the Word of God, I realized some things can only come out by prayer and fasting. And um, I realized the brokenness in me and all that hatred and anger and the rejection, the sense of uh, abandonment, I took it to God. I said, God, will you just restore me? I wasn't thinking about ministry. I wasn't thinking about knocking on doors, making sandwiches just restore me. If you can restore me, then I can have some senses to find out what it is that you need. So in the beginning of my Christianity, it was all about restoration, praying, fasting.
1: Are there times when it's taken on kind of a, um, I think, a pastor Cho of South Korea? I'm going up on the mountaintop. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast, and I'm not coming down until I hear from God be that one day, two days, 10 days, three weeks, whatever it takes, I'm not coming down until I hear from God. Is that part of it, maybe not literally, but in a sense in terms of the longing and, and having to seek after Him?
2: Yes, I must admit, I do not hear from God. <laughs> I just go, I pray, I fast, I lay my request before Him. And then I hope and pray that He would capture all that. And over the course of time, and begin to restore me little by little.
1: Now you just said something that some listeners are probably just put their foot through the <laughs> the floorboard of the car on the brake and said, "Wait, he doesn't hear from God?" We sometimes over-spiritualize things, don't we? In the sense that people often are, and I hear callers to the program all the time, I'm I'm seeking God's will for my life, and I don't know what to do, and I'm not hearing from him, and I don't know what to do, and we just wait, and we wait, and we wait, and sometimes the waiting goes on for years and decades. There's an awful lot of stepping out in faith, isn't there? Yes. Uh, Even as we look at almost, pick any individual in Scripture, sometimes the mandate from God was this big, um, but the results of what they then moved into became huge mm-hmm. God doesn't always give us outside of his word um, detailed instructions does he a lot okay. of times he's just stepping forward in faith
2: exactly I would come off of these prairie cabins and um, hoping that God would listen to my you know my words and my cry and uh, but but that the commitment because I made a commitment and and uh, Surely after I got saved through the TV, TV evangelist, I went to the Cliff House, and I, I climbed halfway down the, the rock and I, I remember I prayed to God. I said, God, I didn't know how to pray. I just said, God, if you're really real, if you're real, I, I'm going to walk away from everything and I'm mm-hmm. going to follow you. And that was it. Then I started going up and praying, fasting in these cabins and you never say, I, I heard you, I'm pleased with you, I'm going to do this. Nothing. It's just, It's all faith. Mm -hmm. I I just know in the last 29 years, it has nothing to do with emotions or feelings. It's faith. And um, that's why I do what I do.
1: And that's an important key, too, isn't it? Because oftentimes we can get pulled into the emotion side of this. And... I think it's always, at least from my perspective, a major point of concern, because there are days when I don't feel very saved. There are days when I don't feel like coming on the radio. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There are days when pastors on a Sunday morning, and I know those of you listening will be shocked to find this out, don't really feel like getting up in the pulpit and preaching a sermon. And yet they have an obligation. They've made a covenant before God and so they move forward in faith, and it, there's a big part that's less about how you feel, and rather how you simply respond to what you know the Holy Spirit has called you to do.
2: Exactly. I've been uh, out there. I have been. Uh, we have a community church in the Tenderloin on Sunday for the folks in the Tenderloin, not for Christians that want that want to come and join us. We let them know this is only for the folks in the Tenderloin. And so you know the crowd that I have to preach to, very difficult, because mm-hmm. they're not all there sometimes, and then, you know, our, uh, the ushers in our church on Sunday, we don't close our eyes when we pray, you know, we're always looking around, <laughs> making sure that everybody's on the same page. And uh, I will say, gosh, 70, 80% of the time, I did not want to go up, but my wife would be the one to say, you're doing this for God, Go. Mm-hmm. And so yes, it's not about feelings or emotions. But at the end of the day, God will reward you for that. Uh, I'm, I'm no I'm no happier than today than yesterday. But when I look back, I know that God has been faithful,
1: and people have changed. We'll take a time out. Come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. <laughs>
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: We are back to the conversation. Let's move back to more of your phone calls. Scott in Hercules, thanks so much for your patience, Scott. You're on Lifeline with Pastor Roger Huang. Welcome.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to thank you. I'm, I'm a native San Franciscan, so I, I really appreciate uh, you and um, your services in the, in the tenderloin there. Um, I just wanted to maybe ask about uh, your relationship with your, with your family. And, and my reason for asking is, um, I, I've been saved for over 20 years, and I pray for my parents, but um, they're still not saved, and um, and that's, you know, always on my heart. So when you were speaking of your, uh, your relationship with your father, um, it made me speak, uh, think about mine.
1: Talk about that. You, you led your dad to Christ. Indeed. I um,
2: he became very sick, and uh, from a very wealthy man to nothing. Because when after I left, surely after that, my my mother left, and, and all the, all the kids left. He became. He lived in his big house all by himself. He sold it, went to Las Vegas, lost everything. Anyway, at the end of his life, I I found him in the small studio, uh, laying on a mattress. I walked in. And I just simply said that i'm I'm here today to pray for your salvation. I told him about the salvation plan. we pray, and he repeated after me, he couldn't speak, he could whisper, and uh led him to the Lord. I led my mom to the lord my uh, my whole family and uh just because um God restored my brokenness and gave me the heart to forgive him.
1: that had been something that obviously had weighed heavily on your heart for a long time, yes. For any out there listening right now that say, wow, I've come to Christ, I love the Lord, I've tried to share, and they reject me, they don't want to hear what I have to say, they think I'm a religious fanatic, what kind of advice would you offer to Scott or others that are dealing with that pain of loving Christ and wanting to be together and and know that the family is going to be together in heaven, and yet they're tormented by the notion that mom or dad or a sibling has never been willing to be receptive to talk about the things of the
2: Lord? Well, I will say, uh, once again, ask God, pray fast, ask him to restore you, restore your brokenness. And then then the passion of Christ, the love for him, the love for his creation will come to you. When that moment comes, strike the iron while it's hot. Go right to them, tell them about Jesus, because if you wait uh, lonely enough, and then you're going to get cold again, and all the stuff will come back in again, just strike the iron, telling about God, and just run out of there.
1: All right, Scott, I hope that's some, some help to you.
3: Very much. Thank you so much.
1: All right, brother. Thanks for calling. Daniel in San Francisco, come on in with your comment or questions tonight for Pastor Roger Huang.
3: Thank you for taking my call. So I've actually uh, helped out and volunteered at your ministry before, but there's one question that has really perplexed me for quite some time um, about ministries all over within the Bay Area. How can we, as the Church body, as God's people, um, I believe truly that men are hurting really bad for mentorship, and I really appreciate how you mentioned earlier um, about not having somebody there for you, because I've had a very similar background and history that you have, and it's really weighed heavily on my heart to be a part of trying to make a difference here in San Francisco, and I'm wondering what can we as the Body of Christ really do instead of talk and, you know, say, oh, that's a great idea, but what can we actually do to get people motivated um, to do some kind of ministry to reach out to the men?
2: Like everything else, it takes one man, it takes one woman. Our job um, is to find God, chase after Him, and as we fall in love with Him, I mean, the sky is, a, is the limit. I mean, you just begin to do something, and that's how people will begin to follow you. Uh, I don't think we can motivate the churches in the Bay Area. I don't think we can uh, try to twist the arm of the senior pastor of Omega Church but I know the power of that one person with God. And that's pretty much what I did. When I look at hundreds and thousands of people that come to the City Impact, I, I know it's not me, but because I'm so in love with God, they, ins- they somehow want to be a part of this work that God is doing. So I recommend that you find Him, you get passionate, you're going to find some people following you and to do the work that God please.
1: Do we tend to try to over-program things? And by that I mean... <laughs> We were talking off air about a remarkable story about China is following the fall to communism after the Second World War, they shut down all the seminaries, they bordered up the churches, they kicked out the missionaries, arrested all the pastors, and absent any of the trappings that we think today is necessary for church growth, we have to have a plan, we have to have outreach program, we need to run a crusade, get ads on a Christian radio station, do all of these things, and yet God absent all of that has organically led to the increase of the church in a fashion that probably hasn't been seen since the first century church that's right that old concept each one tells when all of a sudden house churches are growing up everywhere i never forget one time a pastor that we met had a congregation of about a hundred people and said well you know a year ago we had 50 and six months ago we had you know barely 25 meeting and it began this way and so we said, well, gee, that's pretty remarkable growth and you're just doing this word of mouth and yeah, we go out and we teach our members and discipleship and they reach others for Christ and well, where do you see yourself in a year? We'll, we'll be at, uh, at 200. Where do you see for yourself in two years? 400. And, and as we went up the calendar, we noticed he was doubling every year. He said, how do you plan to do that? That's remarkably, a short period of time. Ten years, you're going to end up with 5,000 people. Yeah, that's right. Very simple. Our program is simply this. We, each one tells one. We reach them for Christ. We disciple them. We love them. And each one of our members is responsible for reaching and discipling one person a year. Mm -hmm. And if they'll do just that, the church will double every year. And I thought, you know what? That looks a lot like the first century church. That looks a (laughs) lot like the church in the book of Acts, doesn't it?
2: Yes, it does.
1: So maybe, as the caller points out, that there's this need here. And then we want to sit back and say, well, we need to have a meeting. We need to get everybody together. And the nominational leaders should come and sit. And we'll have a congressional discussion of Instead of saying, you know what, there's a lack of mentors. Let me go out and become a mentor.
2: Exactly. You know, um, America is strong. America is powerful. We have so much. You know, you listen to the the TV evangelists. Um, my goodness, they're so well educated. I think we have enough. I think uh, it doesn't matter how how we think about ourselves. We have the spirit of God. We have at least three, four Bibles at home. We, we we, probably attended some powerful conferences. Let's just go and do the job. It will make a
1: difference. It's a great read. I appreciate you coming and sharing both your story as well as the book today, Pastor. Thank you. Pastor Roger Wong, the book again called Chasing God, One Man's Miraculous Journey. In the Heart of the City, the new book, by the way, published by David Cook, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com. And if folks want to get more information about SF City Impact website, the best way to go? Yes. SFCityImpact.com. That's SFCityImpact.com.